Maybe you've just been going through um, a tough week where maybe sin, the same sin has been shackling you for so long. It's been something that's just creeped back in. You feel like there's no way out. Or maybe you've gotten that phone call that's, uh, that's changed your life. Or maybe just overall demands of uh, school or whatever um, is going on. And you just feel burdened. Um, you just feel heavy. Uh, maybe you've been sharing the gospel and nothing seems to be sticking and you were just thinking, is this even still worth it? It's clear that the world is going to win. Um, I know that these five verses have blown me up this week um, when we're doing that. So I'm actually going to pray one more time because um, I just want to pray for you all. I, I'm, I'm honestly a little bit emotional tonight. Um, if you would have told me that a year and a half ago we would have had uh, 20 people um, in here singing songs and listening to the word with us, I've told you you're crazy. Um, when we get a flood in the auditorium and 20 people show up to help us um, get all of that out of there. And I'm just so proud of you guys. I, I mean, it's like, Marshall better watch out. Um, the kingdom of darkness, um, I, it's got no chance against people who are just going to abandon themselves to what um, the gospel claims is true. So I'm going to pray for you guys because um, there's no screens tonight, y'all. So, like, we're going to have to look at the Bible that you brought. Or if you didn't bring one, maybe someone beside you can help you out if you've got it on your phone. Um, we've got to focus in uh, tonight. It's only five verses. Hopefully we can handle that. So I'm just going to pray uh, that we can do this and that we would leave here. We'd rally around Jesus and we would leave out those doors ready to go reach people um, with the gospel. So let's pray. Um, Father, right now I pray um, that you would use the people in this room to make your name great. That we would be bothered um, that you're not getting the glory you deserve in people's lives. That there are still people that are rebelling against you, whether it be in just grievous sin or in their religion, that um, are mocking you or not living life that, that, that makes you look good. So, Lord, I pray that you're us. Not in a uh, we're offended way, but in a way that makes us our hearts break, that we would reach them with the gospel, Lord. That we would not be different, that eternally would be different, um, forever changed because of what you do through your word tonight. Um, God, we know you can do this. Um, so I pray you keep you in far from this place. That you would keep us focused in the midst of distraction and change of scenery. And that ultimately, uh, people will leave here not talking about how great um, Camps Collective is, uh, but how great Jesus is. Uh, Lord, just let that be true. And send your son's name, I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to catch you up if you haven't uh, been with us in 1 John so far. I want to remind you of this. This was last week. I want to remind you that God is love. Everything our God does is shaped, empowered, and applied in perfect love. Um, it's in that love that he lets us in on it. He empowers us to experience it, and he lets us live through it in our lives. Um, and then we kept compounding this argument that it wasn't just the fact that he is love, that he's working his love through us. And as that love is perfected, as that love is completed in us, the fears of judgment day melt away. Our confidence begins to rise as we live in this broken world. We all know, we, we talked about this reality, that we all have this kind of innate sense that we don't quite measure up to something. And Jesus' love is something that can enter your hearts and set you free from that. That there's a judgment day coming and you're not enough on your own because he loves you. You can be confident on that day. Um, if you remember the biblical definition of love, I'm going to give you this for your notes. We, we said that the, the love that is celebrated most in our Bibles is something called agape love. 
Uh, it's divine love. It's not because of the loveliness of the person. Um, it's an overflow of the goodwill of the person that's loving that person. You remember that? that it wasn't just, I find that object or that person lovely. It's, they are not lovely on their own. But because I love them, I love them. Agape love. It's demonstrated by sacrifice. And it's demonstrated really in that sacrifice is making the ultimate good for the person or object that is loved. Not loving something because it's lovely, but just loving it because you love it. And it's that agape love that I said is, is, is celebrated in our Bibles and that it's burning deep in the core of who our God is. It's not just that God is loving, it's that God is love. And that love is aimed at you. The most unlovely of things to love. We were in our sin and rebellion and brokenness. The ultimate price was paid in Jesus' blood. And the ultimate good was done for us. That we get eternal life even though we've done everything to just screw that. God is love. So I'm going to give you, this is a good night. If you have not been with us at all this semester, I'm going to give you a highlight of the first four chapters of 1 John. Um, and you, you're going to go too fast to keep this. You have to check this out later on the podcast if you want to know this. But I want to walk you up to lead us to kind of the climax of what this book is about. Now, if you know, there's only five chapters in First John. So when we're getting to this last chapter, these are the last things that the author, really the Lord through the author, wanted us to see. So we started out week one. We celebrated that Jesus is not a concept. That he's not a concept we can conjure up in our minds. He is a person. He is God. And that we learn that because that is true, he must walk in light, living in holiness before a holy God. We learn that walking in the light looks like confessing sin in us. It's not perfection, but it's confession. We learn that we have a God who forgives us. We learn that Jesus is our advocate. You remember that? When, when you screw up and everything in your life should condemn you before a holy God, if you belong to Jesus, he is standing in your place. We learn that we should not love the world or the things of the world. We learn that the, the enemy hates us and he uses the world to tempt us into following after ourselves and not after God. We learn that there are antichrists in the world. We learn that they are energized by spirits that hate us and will do anything to keep people away from the truth that we have in Jesus and in his gospel. We know that we are called to abide in his love and not shrink back as the enemy continues against us in warfare. We know that we are called in this fight to use our love as a weapon. Not to hurt people, but a love that breaks the hearts of those who experience it because they know it's exactly what they need. Here's the point of flying through all these things. None of these realities become living, breathing parts of your life unless you have faith. You've got to know that. You've got to know that you can kind of put yourself around Jesus and around his people and, and, and go to the church services and go to the ministry things but these incredible realities that are true about Jesus are not yours if you do not have faith. They're not. It's faith that saves you. It's faith that sanctifies you. And it's faith that helps you when the world is bringing us down. 
And listen, this faith isn't an intellectual ascent of some higher power that looks like something we learned in VBS one year. It's faith in a person. Jesus. Faith is what we need more of to continue to be used by God. And listen, I know that's intimidating to some of you. But you think we got 13,000 people on Marshall's campus, and if our goal is a ministry to see every single one of them get a chance to respond to the gospel, that's going to take a lot of faith. We'll take a lot more than what we got here. But we're not going to be used at all if we will not believe. Not just faith that saves you, faith that sanctifies you, it's faith that unlocks power in you. And I'm not talking about some name it and claim it, but it's like, I have faith, and all of a sudden you're Superman. I'm saying it's faith not as in, look what I can conjure up, but look what I am relying on. It's not the size of faith, but the depth. And even better yet, it's not even depth, but it's the object of the faith. Jesus says that the smallest little bit of faith can move mountains. And I'm ready to see mountains. I mean that. I, I don't know about you. I don't know what you walk in here with tonight. But sometimes it's like, man, you got to hear another sermon preach or more psalms sung or I've got to try to act somewhat religiously happy. Uh, it's been one of those weeks for me, I'll be honest. Um, my wife and I dodged a uh, potentially $20,000 uh, bullet to our home this week. Almost thought that we were going to have no money. Um, and, and in that, I mean, I'm thankful that we got it fixed, but in that I realized how much the love of money and security had gripped my heart. It's funny, right? Because like you hear something about you're about to spend $20,000 and you look at your bank account and there's not $20,000 in there, right? That's overwhelming. And you would think that someone who works at a church, like your job is to have faith, right? Like you clock in your faith for the week. <laughs> you would think that I would have become a man of prayer, maybe even a man of fasting. But instead, this whole week, this whole week, nothing but panic. Realizing, not, not that I didn't think something would work out. I mean, I, I knew we could scramble or... I don't know, add it to your mortgage. I'm not sure if that's a thing you can do, but I'm sure I'd find out. But in all of this, I just realized that I, I kind of thought that I had this faith thing that I could, when I was disciplined and reading my Bible and doing these things, get excited about the gospel. Then all of a sudden, the world struck. It was like I was nothing. And I needed a fresh view of faith in Jesus. So I'm praying, if that's you tonight, let's dig into First John's. I truly, truly believe. A group of people this size, if we can walk out of here knowing that the enemy has no hold on us, that the world has no hold on us, there's no stopping what the Lord can do through this group. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God... And obey his command. So, two assertions right here before we break this phrase by phrase. Um, the first assertion is this. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, then you've been born of God. Second assertion is that if you love God the Father, you will love whoever has been born of him. You see that, right? It's right in the text. But I want you to notice the family words here. There's something deep about our love relationships with the people who follow Jesus. Saying you're born, and then if you love a 
father, then you love the other people who have been born of that father. That, that we are born like, like new babies when we follow Jesus. That in 2011, I was born. <laughs> so I'm, it's coming up on eight years old following Jesus. We're, we're, we're born again into this family of brothers and sisters. So I want you to hold that in your mind as we go through this phrase by phrase. Look at the first few words. Everyone who believes. I want you to see this. And I want you to see something. That it says everyone who believes. Now, and listen, I know that's not tweetable, okay? Wow, that's, they did a commentary to figure that one out, right? But, but I want you to see something beautiful. Knowing that there's a family to belong to, and the first thing that the Lord wants us to see in chapter 5 is that everyone who believes, meaning anybody can get in on this family, anybody can belong, and it can all happen instantly by faith. Not just intellectually agreeing that Jesus may be just fine, but trusting Him with your life. So internal application here. Listen, know that if you're in Christ, you are a part of that everyone. It's so easy to let our minds slip into thinking that we are somehow on the outside as if there is some sort of other level of Christianity. Y'all ever get there? Like you see the people up front and the ones out doing the things and you're like, man, there's no way I'm in the same class as them. Know this. You're in Christ. You belong to this family. Because Jesus made a way. So apply that to your souls before we even get going. That no matter what guilt or shame you are stuck in, if Jesus saved you from it, he will walk you through it. And it's only by faith. Faith saved you. Faith sustains you. And it's for everyone who believes. Please know that. There's so many. I know I've walked with you. If you think because you keep doing this one thing that somehow God doesn't like you anymore. As if a good father could stop loving his son or daughter. And then there's an external application, which I think is even more important. That this isn't just to give your soul rest that you belong, but it should set your soul on fire for others on the outside. Every single person you know or will meet is one faith away from being in this family. A family full of love and acceptance and change for the better. Don't you want this for people? I feel, I say this a lot, but I want to reiterate. I feel no temptation to need to perform for you all Tuesday nights. I'm not up here to nail a sermon. I'm up here to sit under the word and let it flatten us to see if the Lord might just change us if we're humble. <laughs> don't you want people in on this? And listen, don't just amen this if your life is exclusive. Do you guard the gospel from others because the effort it might take to expand your friend group? Do you hit the same spots on campus to stay insulated in your bubbles? I'm serious. Like if we are under the conviction that we can just keep doing our Jesus things while supposedly the world's going to know us by our love, but we never live close enough to rub shoulders with people who are outside of the family... They're not going to see it. And it's not enough to put it on Instagram. If you really believe that anybody can get in on this, then go make it happen. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Here we get the object of our faith, that it, what our faith is aimed at, and what our faith is resting in. That Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the anointed one, that he is Lord, that he is Savior, that he is treasure, that he is your Lord, your Savior, your treasure. 
The moment that your eyes are open to this reality in repentance and belief, a miracle happens. That you are born, or rather, reborn of God. All of your sin on Jesus, all of his life on yours, and you live in him and through him. To be born of God means to start a new life, just like your first birth. And just like your first birth, you had nothing to do with it. You just at some point realized that you existed. Right? Like not many of y'all walked out of the womb thanking the doctor. A lot of things happen outside of your control to make a baby happen. I don't say that to just joke. I say it because I want you to get humble when you think about the fact that you have been reborn. Jesus died and rose again to give us a lot of things. But it's worth slowing down tonight to be blown away that you have a new family now. He keeps going. It says, that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the one of God. And everyone who loves the Father and all the children have been born of Him. Continuing the family language, you are reborn, which means you have a Father in Heaven now. And this family has a requirement that you love everyone who was born of Him. You have a family now, which literally can mean that in some way Jesus' blood is thicker than blood. <laughs> and this is good news for only child, I believe. Right? Like, I grew up and, like, I'm the only child, only grandson, only nephew on every side. So, like, when we get the whole family together, there's, like, seven of us. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're all here. Mom, dad, dog, right? <laughs> and this is something that has literally changed my life. And maybe you just can't get it now. I'm like, how many only children in the room? Just one. Five, six of us. Let's go, right? You guys are like pumped for Christmas because you got like a thousand dollars spending limit, not two hundred. Um, but this should really, really change your life. And I think maybe, um, maybe if you have brothers and sisters, you can get this on some level. But I honestly think the lack of brothers and sisters and needing to form bonds with people that are in my kind of peer age group because of faith has changed my life. I want you to love that reality. You have family now. You're in Christ. You have actual brothers and actual sisters. You realize even when Jesus was on earth, he was in there um, teaching in one of the homes, and these Pharisees came out and were like, hey, your, your mother and your brother are outside. He says, who are my mother and my brother? The people who do the will of God are my family. Jesus' blood really is the good blood. Keep going. It says this. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, it obeys commandments. So this is how we can know that we are doing what is required of us in this family. Here's how we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commands. Jesus tells us that all of the commandments that God requires of us can be summed up in two of them. Love God and love people. And, and now we can see the connection here. That we are to be obedient because loving God is important and plays itself out in loving others. And we are reborn into the life of loving God and others like we've been loved by Him. Loving God and loving others are two separate things, but they are inseparably linked. Loving God fuels loving others, and loving others gives a direction for the life of love in worship to God. All of the commands the Lord has given us show us the specific way that we are to love other people. Let me give you an example. Everybody can probably agree that Christians should not steal things. Right? Everybody good on that one? Not stealing shows love to others by valuing their property. 
And the overflow of the love behind the command not to steal makes you into a giver, not a taker. And every single command has that thrust in it. It's to love people. Let's look at verse 3. So I want, you to, I want you to have that solid in your mind, okay? You, you are in a family, and you are called to love God and love others. And then he drops this. For this is the love of God. So we're like, okay, everyone who testifies to Jesus Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father and loves people who are born of Him, okay? And by this we know that we love the children, so I got that this, as I'm supposed to love so that I know I'm loving God, right? And then he says, for this is the love of God. Another compounding thing here, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We need to get this. If you don't get anything else tonight, I want you to hear this. This is crucial for your walk with Christ. Loving God is obedience to him. But what needs to be seen, I think, for most of us are the last three words. That loving God, yes, is obedience, but that those commandments are not burdens. These commandments aren't a burden to follow. This means that the weight of God's love, man, get this, please not ever be bored of this. The, the weight of God's love for you isn't riding on how well you keep commandments. This separates our faith from every other system to get God. We don't obey out of burden. But we still obey. Listen, don't cry legalism there, right? It's like always going to tell us a bunch of rules. We've got to go obey stuff. But this tension of obey but not obey out of burden should drive you straight to the cross and empty tomb. Jesus obeyed perfectly and then died for your disobedience. And when he rose from the dead, get this, he defeated death and sin and now has the power to give you a new life. And this new life is a new nature. And listen, that new nature wants to obey him now. Let me say it another way. You've got to get this. In your sin, you naturally hated to obey the things that would bring you true life. Do you realize that? That it's never really a burden to do what you want to do. And in your sin, you naturally hated the things that would bring you life. And since you've been set free from sin, you are now able to want to do what will give you life. That's true freedom. Let me say another one. I guess some confused looks. I really want you to get this. Freedom, we are deciding in our culture to think that freedom is just getting to do whatever you want. Right? Like, you are free if you do whatever you want. But true freedom, listen, it's not to do whatever you want. True freedom is being able to do what you were made to do. A fish may want to jump out of its water tank, but the moment it's in a tank with water is the moment it starts to die. You were made to swim in the joyful obedience of God's commands. But in our sin, we just want to jump out of the water. And Jesus' death and resurrection gives you a desire that keeps you in the tank. That's what's going on in a new nature. It's a principle of human nature that we do what we want. And in our sin, we just want hell. At the very least, we just don't want God. 
And because of the gospel, when you believe it and you get Jesus' life, you are now set free to want to obey. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Who knows will be on the screen, but I'm just going to jot this down in your notes. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This new nature is one that loves obeying. And if you love obeying, it's not burdensome. Galatians 5.6 says it this way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But only faith working through love. Notice that it's not about your religious works, circumcision. And it's not about not obeying, uncircumcision. But it's about faith. And that faith is a gift. And it's working itself out through love. Loving God and loving others. Here's a major application, you guys. You've got to get this. If you, you can't get this gospel anchor in your soul, every time you mess up that one more time on the sin you promised you would never do, you are going to spiral. You've got to get this. Internal application. Listen to me. These words set me free five years ago. For Christians in here, followers of Jesus, you can never read the Bible another day in your life or share the gospel. God still love you. That sounds scary, right? What? Is that right? The power of the gospel is that you are saved by works, just not your works. Jesus saves you because you trust that he did the work necessary to bring you into a relationship with him. And listen, I know this. This is how grace works. None of you true believers out there are going to hear me say, God doesn't, is going to still love me if I don't share my faith, and is still going to love me if I never read the Bible. And none of you are going to go out that door and decide you're just going to not do it. I know that. Because when your love relationship with God no longer rests on the religious activity that you do, you are set free to do it because you want to. That's how grace works. Jesus didn't save you to leave you there. He saved you to change you for his glory and for your joy. Externally, you know this. That your job on mission for Jesus on our campus is not to coerce people into acting like you do. Don't put that pressure on yourself. But especially don't do that to them. Jesus had very strong words for people who put burdens on others without helping them see the purpose or what God was trying to do through their obedience. Matthew 23, verse 3 says this. For they preach, but do not practice. Talking about these types of people. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fear. That whole section is called the loads to the Pharisees. And he's basically saying, Y'all screwed this whole thing up. We think that our job as followers of Christ is to go out into that campus and coerce people into agreeing with us rather than presenting Jesus. We've missed the whole point. And I saw this play out last week. I was just had a guy over for lunch and I was sharing gospel with him. And man, it literally worked on his life. Like, we got to the point where he's like, I'm afraid of death and I'm afraid of what might happen after death. It was, I mean, it was getting intense. And at one 
same point, we were talking about the idea of repentance. And he literally said this, because I know it's in people's nature. Purple heart. We're talking about sin, and he said, he said, Dustin, can you, can you please write down on this piece of paper all of the sins? <laughs> of course I can't, right? I guess I could, it take forever. But because I know this is true, you realize temptation there is to say, ah, uh, yeah, just, just don't drink as much, okay? And then, um, uh, you know, make, make sure to align yourself kind of here, make sure to, I don't, I mean, don't watch those rated R movies, some are fine, but you know, we, we kind of have our boundaries. But instead, look at what I said. Listen, that would not help you. Your main sin problem is that you don't believe Jesus. Don't do that to people. You're not called to lay burdens on people. Our message is that there is rest from the demands of life. People's hearts will either be trying to earn their way to God or be in despair because they think they've disobeyed their way away from His saving reach. And the gospel that we have and we're going to sing about more tonight reaches into both of those places of brokenness and offers rest. You can't earn your way, but someone else did. You aren't too far away because someone took your punishment. And you've got to hear that. Like in a group this size, I know that people do not follow Jesus. You've got to know. I don't know if you're just trying to earn your way to God or if you're, you think you're too far away. You gotta know the message here is not dress like us, act like us, do the things that we do. The message is that you trust Jesus. Take people good news, not burdens. And now on verse four, then I'll be honest. Verse four and five. These are the power verses tonight. These are the ones that when I was meditating on this this week, the ones that I needed, I felt like it jumped off the page. So I'm praying that this does this for you. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? For since, look at this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Notice the four, okay? Anytime you see a for or a therefore in the Bible, you should ask, what's it there for? Right? Anytime it's there, it's on purpose. Every word is given to us. So I want you to notice that for. This means that this verse, verse 4, verse 4, sorry, 4, is more reason to obey and believe the previous verse. So this should help us unlock meaning for the whole passage. So get this. Commandments are not burdensome for the people of God for or because the people of God overcome the world. You see that? Never got that before. I'm telling you, man. The reason that the commands are not burdensome is because we overcome. So he tells us, you overcome the world, and that, that very reason is why you can now obey God that will give you true life. <clears throat> From this, we can see that the world has something to do with the commands of God being burdensome. Stay with me. Listen. Because when the world is overcome, 
God's commands are no longer a burden. So what is the world, and how does it make God's commands burdensome? So stick with me. It's going to explode with the gospel if you can see it. The world is the antichrist system that every culture in the universe aligns by and works toward. The devil is the prince of the power of the world. So a devil-controlled culture in every town, city, friend group, or nation, it is controlled by, as First John's already told us, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's controlled by sin. It's controlled by temptation. It is the realities in this world that affirm us, listen, that we are okay with God and that we should not give our lives to Jesus. And it's because of this reality that the commands of God become burdensome. So we need to overcome these things if we are to live out our lives for loving God and loving others. The world makes the commands of God burdensome because the world keeps your heart far from God. Why obey what you do not love? If the world can work in such a way that the things of God don't look lovely, the commands that a person who we do not love is telling us, we are going to reject those. The enemy knows that God wants to change our desires, so everything in the world will work to feed your own nature so that you will not overcome the world's temptations and the world's goods. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. The next part of the verse shows us something about overcoming the world that has to do with winning or victory. To win against the world, to overcome, to defeat the enemy, is to have faith, and the object of that faith is Jesus, who defeated death by dying and was raised to life to show that the world was overcome. He faced every temptation and overcame. He faced every hardship imaginable and overcame. He faced the ultimate world enemy and death, and he overcame. He faced the wrath of God that he did not deserve, and he overcame. This proved that he truly was innocent and can truly give us new life through faith in him. So listen. When you find yourself shackled up by the world, remember that you have already overcome in Christ. When you are stuck in temptation, listen, you can overcome. When you are locked in suffering, you can overcome. And even when you are laying on your deathbed one day, and they take your lifeless corpse to some hole in the ground, some cemetery, you'll overcome that too. Our faith is the victory. Because Jesus is victorious, and because he is victorious, we have victorious faith. And listen, this is what you got to hear. Overcoming the world isn't a rags-to-riches idea where you overcome all the obstacles in your life to get rich, popular, or successful. Overcoming the world could very well mean getting tempted with money, tempted with popularity, tempted with success, and choosing Jesus over all of it. So overcoming the world this week was not, was not me thinking that our bank account was about to fall and then finding out that it was only going to cost $110 to fix. I don't need faith to be happy about that. 
overcoming the world was realizing that my heart is shackled by a love of money and security. And because Jesus has overcome, I can live without being enslaved to that anymore. That's overcoming the world. I love this. Just ask, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The answer to this question is no one. Not because God is petty, but because he is real about just how enslaved we are. If you are in Christ, listen, you can't overcome the world. The world has a hold on you. The terrifying part is that the world will leave you straight to death. But if you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, not just believing it in a way where you agree with facts that you learn, but faith that works itself out in love because he has set you free, then you can overcome the rest of us. So I want you to hear this clearly. God created the world and gave us commands to keep us in his life. When we sinned, we, we were broken. Our world was broken. And as broken people, we have decided to live apart from the life that God has for us. This sin separates us from, the God, from God, and we deserve his wrath, which starts with him eliminating our relationship with him in spiritual death and ends with him punishing us forever after physical death. But God is loved by his very nature, and his very nature drove him to work out a plan that would fix what is wrong. God sent Jesus to show the world what perfect humanity was supposed to look like. Namely, loving God, loving others, and true life. And instead of using that life to condemn us or guilt trip us, he instead came to overcome the world that had us trapped. Then in the ultimate act of love, died for all the ways we have failed to love him. And God raised him from the dead, proving that he truly overcame the world. And now he is reigning as the king of love and extends his love to us as his free gift. Don't let that get boring. We respond to this by repenting and believing. Repenting is hating your sin and turning from it, believing, believing in who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And once your eyes are open to this reality, you will fight sin because you still live in the world. But by faith, you can overcome because you already have in Christ. So as the band comes back up, I'm going to leave you with this. This is the hope we have to look forward to. Because right now, I know, all this overcome talking, and some of us are going to walk straight back into our dorm and screw up. Here's the hope we have to look forward to. The same Jesus who overcame the world is coming back to remake it. To remake you. There will be no more sin or suffering or trials or temptations. All things made new, just like he started when he started whenever he remade you in Christ. And listen, anybody can get in on this future reality that is breaking into our present place right here because of Jesus. Everyone who believes will be born again, will be believed and overcome. Let's pray. Father, I pray for my friends in here tonight that. Man, you would give us hearts that love you. You would give us hearts that are no longer shackled by temptation, sin, or suffering, Lord, by your grace, you would set us free today. And as we get ready to sing and celebrate what you have done for us, that we would do this because we want to. You command us to praise you. 
God, and in our sin, we don't want to. But because of Jesus, we can now say we want to because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So Lord, rally us around that tonight as we sing songs and hang out. I pray that this would not be another religious activity we check off of our list, but that we would leave here as overcomers.